Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A. Starting the show here at about 12.40 p.m. on a Tuesday afternoon. A little bit of IndyCar testing going on this week. We'll get to that in just a moment. We certainly have a bit of a break between Road America and the next round over 4th of July weekend at Mid-Ohio. Give you a little update here in off social media for the most part for the last little while and also haven't been doing a whole lot work-wise. Been a, uh, been a rough few days, y'all, and I'm sharing this in confidence. I know doing this on a public podcast might sound like, hey, wait a minute, you're telling us something that's not really for the public and something that is ready for the public to consume. But what I mean is just I consider y'all family this listener base that y'all have helped grow to something that is something I take great pride in. We lost Chabrell's mom over the weekend and knowing that all my wife has been through in recent years in her, uh, her medical fights, mom had been in a fight of her own last couple of months something that uh, won't really go into any of the details over. None of that's meant for, again, any any deep introspection publicly. But uh, her mom, who's just a pretty amazing character, uh, lost her over the weekend. So um, my wife's dealing with it. She's been amazing. Uh, her faith and our faith has, has been the foundation that we've stood upon, but just some heavy times. So we're... Uh, along with her family, uh, having to figure out next steps and a variety of other things too. So uh, that has certainly taken top priority with everything. And uh, in between some of the family calls and other things that uh, are going on, I uh, do have a little bit of space here to continue knock out some things like the podcast. Uh, not ignoring my wife obviously would not do that, but Keep in mind that not everybody wants you sitting next to them, holding their hand uh, 24 hours a day. So just going to take a little break here and do the show with y'all. Uh, but as I said, uh, this really isn't meant for public consumption. So please just keep that to yourselves. So had an Iowa IndyCar test on Monday, 19 drivers, Joseph Newgarden fastest of all setting that lap in the morning. Um, I take it that someone else reported or others reported uh, that he wasn't the fastest. That would have been going off of the afternoon times, which again, uh, none of those afternoon laps, including Joseph's, were faster than what he achieved in the morning. But most salient point to take away, Team Penske, a three-car team. Which team was the fastest? Team Penske, with its cars posting first, second, and third fastest laps at Iowa, a doubleheader. Course being really quick and testing right now doesn't mean anything in terms of race day, but it was extremely hot uh, there. And knowing that race weekend could very likely be just as hot, maybe everything they learned there will indeed transfer and give them a, uh, a strong weekend. They're already having a, a really strong year, been the best team across all rounds run so far. I was not too far away thinking of how they could use that or any other team, Ganassi, Andretti, Aero McLaren SP, etc. Um, boy, anybody that can maximize the Iowa weekend, 
I think that's going to do a pretty big things in the championship. So uh, we'll find out. But I, I would say if the weather's anything like what they had at the test, the Penske team could be in a position really make some big moves here in the championship, knowing that they're currently slotted second and third with power in Newgarden. McLaughlin's down at P9, but I do think Scotty's going to be on a bit of a rise here to get back up closer to his teammates. So had that going on on Iowa. We have the Indy road course test here coming up, uh, what, 36 hours from now, something like that, with not as many teams by uh, any stretch. But the next week we have a little bit of testing at Sebring. Spoke with Benjamin Peterson today, excited about doing that with the Hunkos Hollinger team. I think we have a question in here. I don't know if it made it above the cut line and all the questions put together by our pal Jerry Suddeth, but I believe we did have one about, hey, wasn't he supposed to be testing for Foyt? So uh, assuming that made the cut, we'll get to that. Uh, lots of other things going on. Lots of silly season related items. It's been a little while since I have assembled a silly season piece just because I'm waiting to see how a couple of final elements move or don't move. And some of the things that have been propped up as, Oh my God, look what's happening. Sky is falling, huge movement and nothing comes of it. So it's been waiting until a couple of things settle, but maybe by next week I'll put together an update. Some of the things you may already know about, but at least give you the current run of where things are at and what's going on within certain teams. That all said, I think we've got uh, have some new stickers, uh, hopefully posted here to the marshallpruittpodcast.com site on the memorabilia page. Going to try out a new little wrinkle or, or promo type deal. I don't know how much of it's a promo or if it's just trying something new, but basically... Going to do a uh, buy four, get a fifth one free type deal for the normal stickers. So I think it's uh, going to end up being 20 bucks for four stickers and the fifth one's free. So uh, however you want to do that, we're going to try that out. My web developer cooked that up here just a few days ago. Uh, and I'm going to play with that tonight a little bit and see if we can get some of the new stickers, old stickers, you name it, moving. And even got a new one that should be here in about a week that Roger Wark, my amazing artist, did of our pal Marcus Erickson to celebrate his Indy 500 win. So with a big thanks to y'all for the questions that you fired in, huge, huge thank you as well to Cooper Tires who power the road to Indy, the Justice Brothers whose automotive chemicals and lubricants I've used since my first year being a racing mechanic back in 1986, and torontomotorsports.com whose racing memorabilia and hats and t-shirts and everything is just uh, a big part of the fun that makes me love the sport even more. Uh, let's get going with the show. Try and do about an hour. And uh, also, when we get to the end here, I'll give you another reminder on how to sign up and become a member of the Prude Listener Group, a, uh, a collection of human beings who I've come to really, really care for and who make me either think or feel really happy or sometimes feel sad but bring a lot of uh, a lot of quality to my life so run that through here at the end but for now with our little music bed playing out why don't we kick off the show where do we go i mean let, let's let's try and think about where we should actually kick this off 
All thanks to our man, Jerry Sudduth. You know, that's one of the other little hidden things, if you want to call it that, about the show. Uh, there are options. Which questions will Jerry pick? Which ones won't he? What order will he put them in? How does he think the, the show's flow would be best served based on what's placed where? Well, he has said this week, our pal, Jamie Rowe. You're going to kick off the show, and that wasn't meant to rhyme, but hey, I'm having a good time. Sorry. It's like a podcast version of a dad joke, it almost feels like. Uh, Jamie Rowe says, MP, it was great to meet Jamie uh, in person, finally, having communicated a lot on good old interwebs uh, for the past couple of years. Great to meet him at Indy. He says, hope you enjoyed your time home with your warrior bride. He says, uh, thanks for being so kind to my daughter at Indy. She loves the series has now decided that when she goes off to college, she wants to study communications and wants to get into promoting IndyCar and the drivers. So she's already been converting her friends at school and is convinced she knows how to get young people to like IndyCar. Looking for any advice on the best path forward connecting with the series or teams for a young, smart, and clever young woman who wants to promote the sport. Yeah, that's the... It's an interesting one. It's a great choice, Jerry, by the way, to open the show. So we have this unique dynamic going on right now, Jamie, and that is what do you hear? What do we hear? What do I write about, talk about, podcast about, what others talk about? Teams say, we need more people. Boy, this this IndyCar can also apply this to a number of other series, but uh, IndyCar, we're, we're running out of people. We need more people. We could do more if we had more. <sighs> Just a quick little example, checking in with every single team, uh, whether it's the team owner, team principal, team manager, general manager, managing director, whatever, the senior most people at every team, full-time team that I spoke with month, month and a half ago about the IndyCar job portal. Hey, hundreds upon hundreds of resumes that have been submitted. Have you hired anybody? found one and turns out the team was already talking to that person before they submitted their resume. So it tells you one of two things, Jamie, either everybody barring this one person unqualified, doesn't deserve, deserve a job. Shouldn't uh, be any, led anywhere near a team pit lane or elsewhere. A little caveat here. You mentioning your daughter wanting to focus on the communications side. I think that there are more options for her uh, or anyone looking to go that route than the higher bar of experience being held that is filtering out pretty much everybody on the mechanical side, uh, turning wrenches, being an engineer, etc. cetera. Uh, most of what teams are looking for among those hundreds and hundreds of resumes I've mentioned for folks to put their hands on the race car get their hands dirty feedback received from pretty much everybody who's been yeah there haven't been a lot of turnkey folks or folks that we think we could have ready to do this job within a short amount of time most all the resumes those who've looked through them have told me have said it's a project long project to get a person there uh they might work at a auto dealership but they have no racing experience at all. Great, we could get you there. But normally, you would go through local club racing, get to work on those cars, then find Road to Indy, gain some knowledge there, 
And so you put in the four to five years of work to develop yourself to then have us ready to hire you and add the finishing touches. Wanting to go straight to IndyCar from that car dealership or wherever else, that's a bridge most teams would say is too far. The communication side, though, Jamie, which is where if we're going to stick to that, I think you might have something here. Assuming your daughter is talented and thorough and as passionate as you are, uh, I can tell you that at least half the teams that I work with, by work with, I should say interact with, but for the teams that I do have those steady interactions with uh, on the communication side, I genuinely deal with not many (laughs) because I don't find any real need or value. Uh, Why waste my time going in circles with someone to speak to whomever when all I'm going to get is two or three days of nonsense and questionings as to why and what and how and just, hi, I'll just call the person, I'll knock this out in five minutes, I'll move on. Um, IndyCar would certainly welcome, whether it's on the series level or among the teams, Jamie, a skilled person in communications. I can think of a number of teams right now that either have vacancies to fill or likely will. And so just to close on this, when she's ready, probably more on the intern level, right? In that uh, first, second year of college, starting to get a bit of experience but needs real workplace experience, reach out again, Uh, whether it is Teams or whether it is agencies that handle PR for multiple teams that have internships, um, that's an angle that's not too hard to make happen. And honestly, there'd be no need to fart around with the IndyCar job portal or anything like that because I don't know how many PR reps, communication specialists, marketing specialists are looking to that resource Uh, This would be more of a who-you-know type deal, and I don't know if it's a good thing, but you know me, so we'll make something happen. Uh, Let's see, our pal Mitsuki Matsura, you are P2 on the good old show this week. says, Marshall-san, in your opinion, what's been the most unexpected thing or the surprises that have happened during the first half of the IndyCar season? Um, He also says, loves the new cartoon of Marcus uh, and you're asking if Marcus is drinking milk out of the Borg Warner Trophy. I'm curious to know the stories behind that artwork. Okay, uh, I got to look because I don't fully remember here. So let me pull that up and uh, let's see, is he drinking? No, uh, I don't think so, but I'll, I'll double check with Roger. Um, yeah, maybe that's a, just a crazy straw coming out of there and he's getting ready to have some milk. Maybe that's a story. Okay, we'll go with that. A um, little follow-up from last week from someone. Which there's, there's been more people now who've asked if I'll be doing uh, picking up Robin Miller's former midseason report card uh, feature. Answer is no. Uh, won't be doing that. You've asked basically for me to share some of those thoughts here, which I'm happy to do, Mitsuki. But uh, won't be picking that up. Won't be continuing that. Why? It's Robin's. It's not mine. Um, as I probably made pretty clear last week, uh, I don't live my life as a tribute act to anyone. 
Um, and while Robin did ask for the mailbag to continue, that was something in the final weeks of his life. He did ask uh, racer founder and owner Paul Fanner to continue. Um, we're going to leave that there because I could pick up two or three or four other things that Robin did on a regular basis. But again, um, I can't see any reason for me to live my life just continuing other people's work when I have spent my entire life working to do my own. So uh, I'll be doing my own version of a look at the midway point of the season. And who knows if it is not something that sucks. I might even do it again next year. Uh, But as for the biggest surprises, the positive, the biggest surprise on the plus side, be Chevy's return to, we've got to call it dominance. You win six out of eight races. That's not a fluke. Uh, That's a real thing. And what has coincided with that team Penske's rise. So don't know if I'm stating anything here that's massively shocking or alarming, but the two are absolutely linked together. This isn't a case of Team Penske doing better and dragging Chevy along, and therefore that's where Chevy's uh, renewed shine has come from. Without a doubt, Chevy's work during the offseason to make gains have absolutely changed the complexion of their season. Uh, They were good last year. They weren't as good as Honda. Knowing that we're in the final year and a half-ish of this current engine formula, keep in mind when they came into the new season, uh, there was a belief that this was going to be the last year of the new formula, right? So been an agreement a couple of years ago when everyone knew we were going to this new 2.4 liter motor in 2023. That's been pushed back now to 2024, but basically a gentleman's and gentlewoman's and gentle everybody's agreement between the two engine rivals. Let's not go insane. Let's not spend crazy amounts of money to try and beat each other for in the twilight of this engine formula. Uh, Let's not exercise all of the homologation items that are available to us that again, could and would cost crazy amounts just to try and dunk on each other once or twice more before we go to this new and definitely expensive new formula. And so with that understood, the fact that having lost the last three, four, I forget how many uh, manufacturers championships in a row, it really did look like this was going to be baked in. It really did appear that Honda was going to just carry this momentum and the gains they'd found to the checkered flag for the 2.2 liter twin turbo V6 formula. The fact that Chevy said, nope, obviously these things don't come free. They have clearly spent money to get to where they are. And we know Honda performance development has as well. But I, I think that is the overarching biggest thing of the season And that then has a a significant trickle-down effect on its best teams. So what do we have as a result from these eight races so far? Well, we have Team Penske with five wins. We have Air McLaren SP with the other Chevy win, combining for six. Uh, If we look inside, you know, the top four, 
Uh, Honda's leading with Marcus Erickson, and the next three right behind him and not super far behind are all Chevy-powered. Um, we know that after Penske and after Air McLaren SP, Chevy's a little bit light on true race win contending every week championship contending type team. So it really is, they got two horses in this race against Honda, which has a lot. Um, this is impressive. So I'd say that's the biggest, what in the world? <laughs> uh, and how that has then helped team Penske to really rule the year so far. Um, that's been crazy impressive on the flip side of that. Wrote about Ray Hall's struggles here very recently, Mitsuki. So I would say that's the obvious answer there. Uh, I was totally caught unaware at how unprepared they were to be effective, to do much of anything as a three-car team. Um, Graham leading the team in the championship right now in P15. He's had a little bit of adversity this year, right? But not crazy amounts. Um, for him to be the, their best option that far back, uh, and now to have teammate Christian Lingard, who's right behind him in the standings in P16 as a rookie, and that tells you that Lingard's actually been having a pretty darn good year when he's nestled just right up behind Graham, who's usually a top five, top seven, top eight guy. Uh, at all times. And then just compounding that, the absolute disappearance of Jack Harvey. Uh, know that he's struggled not being able to do the Texas race with that crash, but even so, uh, it, it's like there's an invisible force field at 13th place for him. Uh, he's finished 13th three times now. Opened the season with the 13th. Most recent finishes is a, is a 13th. And right around the middle, the Indy GP, there's another 13th. Those are all the bests. Nothing better than that. Uh, and Graham, I believe, holds the team's best result with a pair of sevenths. Sevenths aren't bad, but they've been nowhere close to a podium, much less a win. That's been a huge surprise. We just add one other thing here to close in terms of the negatives, in terms of surprises. And that's been Andretti Autosports overall game. They have been close a few times, without a doubt. We know Colton Herta could have two, maybe even three wins this year uh, if a variety of things went uh, in a better direction for him. But it's been the up and down performance. Indy was a huge blow. None of their cars, for the most part, were race winning type vehicles. Rossi was a rocket, but again, all of them had not great days in qualifying for the most part and then had to race their way forward. But if we look at Rossi and P7 in the standings right now. I mean, that's great. That's a huge surprise to the positive for him. Did we really think, though, we would get to the halfway point of the season with a single Andretti driver in the top 10? Uh, also, did we think we'd get here without Groschamp earning his first win. It's been a year of lowered expectations. Not that they have lowered their expectations, but looking at their output. 
from weekend to weekend. Rossi, yet again, very quick at the most recent round, on pole, ended up finishing third. Didn't have anything to stop Penske and Newgarden. Previous round, finishing second at Detroit. Impressive as well. Give him another lap. Maybe maybe he catches Will Power. It's more of a strategery thing than one car just being fantastically better than the other. I'm looking for that pole, lead the most laps, win type event for them. Haven't really seen that this year. Uh, knowing Colton obviously won uh, at the Indy GP, uh, did lead the most laps, but, <coughs> excuse me, there's another willpower poll. Just looking for a weekend where Andretti says, we got it, we own it. Really didn't think we were going to get to the halfway point of the season here to close on this, Mitsuki, where, heck, even Ganassi. Uh, yeah, I, I realize for sure that they have a lot of potential, I realize that Marcus has won the biggest and most important race of the year. Also realize that this guy of late has been the unquestioned team leader in terms of his on-track performances. There's a reason the guy's leading the championship. Shock there, though, that we haven't really seen Polo look like he's going to cruise and win. I mean, there's maybe one race that stands out where it looked like that could happen but didn't. Uh, Dixon hasn't looked close to winning. Uh, Jimmy Johnson looked impressive. The Texas Oval did well at the, uh, at the 500 overall, just general performance was really good there. But the Ganassi team coming off back-to-back championships, looking like they're just searching for something that's gone missing across the entire organization on a competitive level. It's maybe... Not a giant, giant shock, but that one also stands out as a bit of a surprise. So thanks for asking, Mitsuki. Uh, let's see, where do we go? Kevin DeVries. How you doing, Kev? It's Marshall. Bummer about you not being able to make the trek north of the border, but hoped uh, you've enjoyed your time spent with Shabrell. says, hashtag me personally. It's about freaking time. We're back on track in Toronto. says, after the uh, two-year absence, I got looking and noticed more than half the field. I will have never raced here. Says uh, six drivers, Jimmy Johnson, Groschamp, Callum Eilat, Lungard, uh, Tatiana Calderon, Scott McLaughlin. Um, never done it. He says there are plenty of others. Eight, uh, VK, Palo, Kirkwood, Award, Kellett, uh, DeFrancesco, Malukas, and Harvey. Maybe we're only there on the road to Indy or in Palo's case, uh, definitely not a road to Indy guy. Says IndyCar is full of talented drivers, uh, but the streets... This year, they have caught out some of the series best. How messy could the weekend get? Oh, I love your your kind of forecast of uh, uh, non-excellence and or, ooh, this might be crazy. Yeah, it, it is a place where not only solo crashes and mistakes happen somewhat frequently, but you get down to turn one and turn three in particular, and, oh, there's enough width for folks to feel like heroes and that they can pull off passes that were never on and never going to happen. So that's maybe the part where like you probably going to be looking through my watching through my fingers a little bit, kind of a, Oh no, no, don't do that. Oh, all right. Hey, it's a caution boys and girls. Uh, 
we'll see. Uh, but there is certainly the there's the the possibility inspector of mayhem. Do I think this could be a messy weekend? Yeah, actually, I think you're really on to something here. Uh, you mentioned Jimmy Johnson. If we're going off of his Long Beach weekend, which was not his first time there, uh, and how it felt like in every session, uh, including the race, things were just about crashing, spinning, hurting himself. And this is, again, at a track that he at least had raced on once. The fact that Monsieur Groschamp can be blindingly fast, but can also bring out the cautions or red flags. Some of the other rookies who know that they can go quickly and want to show something and might be getting a little bit later into the season and feel like, hey, uh, if I can dance a little bit here, maybe I can do something special. Some of the folks with a lot to uh, to try and turn around and show. Um, those are the balances, Kev, that I'm going to be looking for, and I'm sure you and others will as well. Uh, you mentioned Jack Harvey here. Obviously, hoping he and rooting for everybody to do well at all times. But I'm hoping he has a, a great mid-Ohio, and I'm hoping that things pick up from there and he has great momentum going into Toronto. If, by chance, there's no great momentum coming out of mid-Ohio, it's not like he's going to lose his mind, drive differently, drive over his head at Toronto to make up for a, a, a bad season. But if it's a place where he finds a rhythm and enjoys himself and you know knows that he can absolutely uh, do something special, try and change just the overall complexion of uh, the, the feeling of how the year has gone, get back on track, so on and so forth. Um, you know, do I think he would lay back and not really try his hardest and give something up? Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, it's been a little while since he was there. I think like what, 2015 maybe in Indy Lights? Uh, but regardless, hey, Rocky. Rocky wants to be fed. Um, this is just a case of if you're feeling pressure to perform, this is not a street course that rewards the slightest mistake or the slightest uh, bout of overambition. It's not like most street courses allow you to do that. Just saying that this one in particular has a lot of pitfalls and it's not all turn one, turn three, you get farther around the end of the lap. There are a couple options there too. So I am going to be preparing a fresh, uh, container of coffee for this race report, because I do indeed think it might be a long and complicated one to document all that went wrong. Uh, I hope that's not the case, but I won't be surprised. And thanks for raising the the question for all of us to keep an eye on here. Uh, we'll go to good old Twitter at Das Ruslar, also known as a nihilist in a grumpy bear suit. Say, MP, are there any circumstances you can think of where IndyCar would run at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve on the Saturday of the Montreal Grand Prix weekend? Say, aside from F1 parking a very large truck full of money at Indianapolis Motor Speedway's headquarters. Um, maybe take this question just a little bit wider. I, I, 
I do find it interesting where in recent years, the last three, two, three years, especially since drive to survive has awoken a lot of Americans knowledge that formula one exists. And then the popularity that has come big popularity that has come for F1, uh, newfound popularity among many folks who also know of IndyCar or learn of IndyCar who pose questions like this. Hey, any chance IndyCar would bow its head and be the opening act on home soil for Formula One? And, well, again, I appreciate the question because it's an interesting question. I'm always a bit mystified as to how or why IndyCar would ever say, yeah, we'd love to look small and unimportant at home. We're the home team, but could we be the warm-up act and just demonstrate that we're not even, we don't think our product is anywhere near Formula One's at home in front of our very own people. Let's be the Saturday race at Kota or somewhere else. And hey, could you just bend the knee to Formula One? It's a really bizarre mindset to me. Uh, I realize that on a global platform, of course, IndyCar is nowhere near as popular as Formula One because it's not an international series. Um, I mean, why, why don't we flip this around? Why doesn't F1 race on Saturday on the road course at the Indianapolis motor speedway during the Indy 500 weekend? Why don't they do that? Very simple. At no point in time would formula one allow themselves to look small and second tier. So why would IndyCar ever want to look small and second tier? Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so to take back to the specific question, there are no circumstances I can think of. Uh, Formula One would not want to invite IndyCar to come race where it's at, uh, nor would IndyCar invite F1 to come race on its same weekend. Uh, these are, while very different brands, obviously one domestic, one international, they're in the same marketplace. Um, yeah, no way. Uh, and I would really feel sorry for anybody who posed this question in an IndyCar meeting. Uh, if they, if anyone there wanted to maybe go uh, be the undercard to an F1 round, because I think they'd get fired immediately because they don't understand how truly competitive Roger Penske is with his businesses. So will IndyCar ever beat F1 in terms of size and popularity? Never, never has. And just as a quick aside, Formula One's been around for a long time. This isn't a brand new thing, uh, ever. <laughs> it's been around for a really long time. Formula One's been here officially since 1950. Uh, IndyCar has been here officially since 1911. Um, just two totally different products. I love both, but yeah, they don't peacefully coexist. Uh, just as we don't see 
the XFL, USFL, or whatever else playing a game on the field before an NFL game. Uh, we don't see AEW holding a match in the same ring before a WWE event. Not going to see this. So, uh, no. <laughs> Let's go to uh, our pal Tice Berendrecht. Says, MP, how do the testing rules work in regards to non-IndyCar drivers testing? I know teams are limited in regards of testing days, but why would Hunkos run Benjamin Pedersen at a Sebring test? Does it not count towards those days? Is there a max number of days for these drivers, etc.? I can't fully answer this one, Tice, because I am still greatly confused about what I've tried to process as the reason why Benjamin cannot test with the Foyt team, uh, as was originally planned. I know that he went there, uh, made a seat, got fitted to the car, and then I heard some sort of explanation I can't make sense of. I was telling Benjamin in our car call earlier today, I like to think I'm a little bit smart, but then when I get stuff like the reason that he couldn't test presented to me, my brain just says, no, <laughs> no, no, not you, not today, ain't happening. Uh, you need some new spark plugs. You need some new something. Your brain is not going to fire correctly to get you the answer. So I don't fully grasp why he has been disallowed to test for uh, the Foyt team. Maybe it has something to do with rookie days, etc. days, and how many of the team is used or where they were going to test. Or again, I've just willfully, Tice, told myself, just let it go. Uh, not understanding it, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, but there is a linkage here to kids ready to test IndyCar said, no, you can't test with the Foyt team. And so that quickly turned into a test with Ricardo Hunkos. So do I think this changes Benjamin's longer, short, shorter term, but longer term plans to maybe run with the Foyts next season? I don't know. That's one I need to dive into a little bit. Um, I didn't put it in the article that I wrote. It didn't really seem to fit, but I have heard some questions as to whether the long-term uh, union between Benjamin, uh, his parents' global racing group uh, team and business, and the Foyts, if that is something that will head down the path to him becoming a driver there, or if that could be something where he might drive for someone else. So, is this change of testing plans just a brief issue to get through and then everything's back on track with Foyts? Or is this an indicator that, hey, maybe he'll be landing somewhere else next year? Be keeping an eye on that. Do know that there appears to be funding behind him to get him to IndyCar. And so that seems to be less of a question. Who he'll be driving for, that's what I'm keeping my eye on. Next question comes in from our pal Daniel Summersgill, who puts together the questions for our weekend sports car show that I do with my dearest, deary, deary pal, Graham Goodwin. It says, uh, MP sending this in on behalf of uh, Randall, a member of the Prude Discord group, 
says, listening to the observations back in May at the Indy Road Course about the aero screen and visibility in the rain, why not just remove the windscreen for rain races? Is it too structurally dependent to remove? Uh, not structurally dependent. Could absolutely be removed. Would say the, the overarching mindset to take though, Randall, is not one of, hey, we had a problem, so let's just go backwards and give up. Like that is the antithesis of the racer's mindset. So would say, yes, they could absolutely just take it off. Then you have the rain hitting the drivers straight in the helmet, like used to. And while they would have the ability to wipe their visor, which they can't do at present by their arms, aren't long enough to reach over and wipe the front of the arrow screen. The main issue here is for the very first time being run in heavy rain first opportunity since the, uh, the air screen was introduced, not saying it was the first time it ever was run in the rain, just saying this is the first time it ever had all the cars on track, hard racing situation, hard driving rain in one area of the track. This is, was a first. And so they learned from it that there is certainly something that needs to be improved. Therefore, that's what they need to do which is improve it so it can function appropriately in all situations. Simply taking it off, which again, they can. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, bolts being removed from the halo. Uh, but could they? Absolutely. Is that the opposite of, of how racers race? It is. So they need to find a, 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 an appropriate and timely solution here i don't know how many crazy rain races we might have to finish out the rest of the year here in the summertime but um it's definitely something that i need to follow up with indycar on and find out with uh find out if anything has been done or any advancements have been made or at least a testing plan um is in position for whenever they think they might uh keep an eye on the weather and go run some with a few cars, whether it's Indy Road Course or who knows where. Uh, but yeah, stay tuned. But evolution instead of reverse gear, that's the approach. Uh, what do we go to our pal Jim Kaiser? More haiku time. Says it's an off week haiku. Uh, Marcus has the lead. Power, new garden lurking. Rogers boys look stout. They do. Thank you, Jim. Uh, I appreciate the fact that although you're unable to uh, continue doing the uh, listener Q&A assembly every week, you now are at least back on track and supporting Jerry and supporting the rest of us with Haiku. Um, where do we go next here? And let me see how many more we have before the red line of death. Oh boy, Jer, uh, you got a ton here, brother. Um, yeah, I'm going to pick and choose here as we get to uh, the last 15 minutes or so of the show. Um, Amon Barnett, or Amon Barnett, you said, I read your racer article about the season of RLL. Why did they add a third car this season, even though they didn't have the personnel for three cars? Um, yeah, you might go back and uh, read that one again, Amon. 
they didn't run three cars despite not having enough people to run three cars. What they lack is personnel depth. And that's not something that's unique to RLL. Who uh, goes Hollinger Racing does not have enough engineers, for example. Uh, the physical side of running the cars, mechanics, uh, they've got that. But the added layers of engineering that really make a Penske or Ganassi or so on stand out, those are the things that they have not been able to install. So that's something they are chasing and trying to find. But if we if teams that did not have all the engineering depth that they wanted <clears throat> were to pull those cars from the field, uh, we'd probably be missing seven or eight, if not more. So uh, they're just having to deal with it. Uh, let's see, Andrew Miller, you say SRX is still fun. I agree. I didn't catch all of it last Saturday night, but I did see, I think, the last 40 or 50-ish laps of the race. Juan by our man, Elio Castro Neves, who, by the way, will be our guest Q&A uh, visitor here on Thursday. So I'll put out the call for uh, Elio Q's here uh, probably Wednesday morning. It says, FY, the little preview show that ran on CBS uh, SN prior to the opener featured a screen capture of your tweet about the Nashville SRX round. Um, I don't remember what I tweeted, by the way. So uh, that's a curious one to me. Uh, you say, what would open wheel SRX look like if Ray Evernham asked you how to do it? So this is a PS, another classic tune from Roger, that being of our man Marcus Erickson. I got to admit, Andrew, I don't I have no clue what I tweeted, but uh, it was probably something that uh, hopefully was complimentary. Uh, what would SRX look like if it was open wheel? Um, yeah, a mess, <laughs> an absolute mess. <laughs> it would look like a lot of cautions is what it would look like. And uh, uh, probably a lot of cars doing acrobatics. They really, the drivers really would not want to do. So, um, yeah, I think they picked the perfect formula here, and I would just keep that uh, the way it is. Uh, Ed Joris, F1 recently announced a big new event in the USA, and word is NASCAR is about to announce a big new event for next year. Any big new attention-grabbing events on the IndyCar horizon? Not that I know of. Not that I am aware that would have any of us going, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, not that I know of, uh, Thomas gross say last week, you made mention that you gave, uh, willpower a few chances to correct his quote says, how do you determine when to run with the original and generate clicks versus giving them a chance to not create fireworks? I'm sure this is a challenging part of the job. I got to admit, Thomas, it's, it's really not like I mean, my job's easy. It involves a ton of work. So the, the labor side, there is a lot of. But in terms of like, oh, my God, being a racing journalist, oh, few things in life are harder or more arduous. Not at all. Uh, and I'm not saying you're saying that. I'm just sharing that, like, look, uh, truly, I am one of the luckiest folks you will ever meet. I do the job that I love. It takes a crazy amount of time and dedication to do it, which is no different for any other really committed racing journalist. Uh, but, you know, my hands are, are smooth. Uh, I grew up 
in a house where my father's hands were never smooth. As a mechanic coming home with cuts and grease and dirt and aches and just, right? And then I became a mechanic following in his path. And my hands were just felt like claws that were kind of stuck because they were so overworked. And and being a mechanic's by no means worse than digging ditches or being the person to vacuum out uh, porta potties. Like, so again, just saying in the realm of, of things where you go, how hard, truly arduous and, and tough is it to do your job? I got an easy one. So something like this, it's like, ah, super easy. So how do you decide? Um, depends who it is, right? I know Will, I know Will very well. I could see that he was a little bit out of his mind. I don't mean like true mental out of his mind. Just saying I could see his eyes like he was on fire. And so I could have run that first quote and it would have been incendiary and it would have got a lot of traffic for a racer, blah, blah, blah. But what does that mean? Like does racer somehow win an award for that quote? A meaningful award does meaningful money come into racers hands right i don't profit from stuff like that Uh, i think i've shared before my preference forever is just to be on a flat rate that way we're never talking about uh (coughs) incentives for clickbait or other type stories and such like whether a story that i file has a trillion people that read it or has zero people that read it doesn't it has no influence no bearing on what i earn straight up flat rate been that way pretty much since i joined uh the media side of things whatever that was 15 16 years ago so that's maybe a little other context to add in like hey boy if i fire this through and it just explodes goes super extra triple viral uh, am i going to become wealthy and no no incentive nothing financial to gain is there going to be pulitzer organization calling and saying racer magazine marshall pruitt we want to give you an award no none of that's going to happen uh is it going to disappear in terms of notable newsy things within a day or two at most maybe it would last three yeah then it's going to go away going to be mostly forgotten we're going to move on to the next thing um those are just some of the quick things you run through your mind and granted the like would racer win an award for this thing that truly like never goes through my mind not once because like again come on we're not doing anything truly meaningful here in society right this isn't undercovering some big a scurrilous plan within the government or with whatever else like you know this isn't hard-hitting journalism this is sports entertainment so no real profit to be made there's no status or whatever with awards and other things to come through so really you just have to think about how does this affect this little ecosphere that i work in and the driver, the team owner, whomever it is that's speaking, how does it affect them and or us? So, uh, in this case, 
would have won the day, maybe two days, and then it would have been totally forgotten. In terms of the story, terms of the negative impact on Will, oh, his employer is absolutely calling. His sponsors are going to be calling. Uh, there's going to be a lot of people calling, dropping the hammer on him, turning up the heat to an insane point. And so you go, okay, great. Well, how does that benefit him? doesn't benefit me. Like, again, I, you know, I don't want this to sound blasé, Thomas. I've written thousands of stories. Like, I can think of a handful that I'm like, oh, that was, that was pretty inspired work. That, that was pretty good. But for the most part, you write the story, you move on to the next thing. So this was just a case of recognizing someone that I know well, which then inform, helped me to understand while trying to talk him into a more constructive zone, uh, I could see through the fire in his eyes that that was not working the first time or the second time. Uh, it took a couple times to get him to a place to offer a quote that was accurate to what he was feeling without it being incendiary and left it at that. And that to me is, is pretty much the way you should do things. Uh, the last little thing to add here, it's not uncommon to be interviewing someone about something spicy, something touchy, something whatever, and to have an on-the-record conversation. And for the person to say the say words, and you get those words, and they recognize and I recognize, ooh, that, that's, that's got a little kick to it. And to then, ha after they have said it, to say, oh, it's off the record. Or, hey, please don't use that. It's a very different thing. If you go into something and the person says, hey, I'm going to share something, but it's off the record, you can either agree or disagree, and then the conversation does or doesn't go wherever it's going to go. When a person is speaking to you on the record and they then, after saying the thing, hit you with, oh, by the way, that's off the record. Yeah, no, 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 no. You, we're not just picking and choosing. You're not my editor here. So if you don't want me to use that, then let's talk about that and help me to understand why. Uh, but this is not kind of master and servant. S servant? Uh, sure. Um, this is not that kind of relationship because we're all grown people. And so in this instance here, I could see that he was happy to say things that would have harmed himself just out of frustration. It was a very unique situation. It really was. Uh, and I'm thankful to have known him enough to understand uh, he, he's not helping himself here. And this is there was a reporter standing right behind us who was waiting to get to him might have heard a couple of the words because Will wasn't exactly trying to keep things quiet. And all I can tell you is uh, maybe that a, another reporter would have used them. Maybe their criteria for things are different than mine. Doesn't make mine right or wrong or theirs right or wrong. Just going to close on this topic here, Thomas, and say that in this situation with someone who I understand a little bit better, a little bit deeper than... Uh, most drivers in the paddock just stood out as something to go, nope, we're going to keep trying this till we get to something that uh, doesn't cause you a lot of problems. Uh, where do we go here to uh, run the last couple of quick questions? Um, James Malloy. Say no question, just a statement. I know it's a tired complaint, and it gets old, but man, these three-week breaks bum me out. 
I, if I was a fan and a fan alone, James, I would be probably banging that same drum with you saying, what in the world? Do something, IndyCar. I can tell you someone who happens to be on the inside of things here. I don't mind it at all. Uh, let's see. Andy Bauer. Marshall, what's the word on a third engine manufacturer? Trail gone cold with Toyota? Haven't heard anything conclusive in either direction. Did get some intel last month that I didn't feel was at a place to share yet because there's a little more that I need to figure out. But the bigger question here, and I'm meaning to ring Roger Penske probably today, maybe tomorrow, do a bit of a catch-up on a few different things. One of them is, I believe within the rules, there's a bit of a cutoff date of if a manufacturer were to join by year X. In, in this case, we would have to assume they'd want it to be in 2024 at the same time as Chevy and Honda. Uh, I do wonder if uh, we might be reaching that cutoff point where, at least for what the two manufacturers we have in IndyCar have agreed upon, if we might be getting pretty close to uh, 2024 being not an option. So uh, that's one of the main things I need to chase down here. And yeah, as soon as I have a third manufacturer update that I feel that's worth adding or is additive uh, that would bring something new to the topic, you do know I will be sharing that immediately. Uh, let's see. Ryan Terpstra talking about scheduling and silly season. Um, any juicy additions or subtraction rumors out there? Uh, that's yet another thing I need to... Uh, Need to follow up on here, um, see if there's anything that might be, I don't know, really interesting, Ryan. Uh, don't want to bring this back to a, a sad place. It's not meant to be a sad place, but um, with some of the heavy stuff that's been going on here very recently, uh, being a full-throttle reporter has not really been both an option nor has my heart fully been in that. <clears throat> Be super honest with y'all. Uh, if if not for the fact that this is a weekly obligation and the ra racer's mailbag and one or two other things being kind of locked in stone weekly things that I need to do, uh, I'd turn off all electronic devices, probably except for the television um, and air conditioning. And I think my wife and I would just zone out for days or a week or even longer and her birthday is next week i mentioned that i would be circling back to mid ohio <clears throat> sorry i don't know why my voice is so screwed but uh i keep drinking things to try and help and it doesn't really get a lot better um will not be in the good old office uh from about the middle ish of next week uh through almost the end of the following. So I'm going to knock out the mailbag before my wife and I um, take some time off here for her birthday. It's a, uh, a big half-century birthday for her. Um, so going to miss every aspect of Mid-Ohio. I won't be reporting on any of it. I won't be there, obviously, um, since it conflicts with my wife's birthday 
Um, but yeah, so mid Ohio, other folks at racer will look after that. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing a, a rewind or cool down lap column or any of that stuff. Like, uh, in light of losing mom, uh, we are not only, we were not only planning on going on vacation for her birthday, but knowing that we just lost mom as well. Like, yeah, we, we, she, I just always talk about us as we, cause I don't really see my wife or myself as separate. Um, we just need to go and be away and not have obligations of life really weighing on us. So I've figured out what I'm going to do with the podcast for next week. Uh, we'll be back towards the end of the following week. I think the sixth or seventh or something like that of July. Um, but yeah, uh, we'll be able to do, I think a, uh, uh, we'll be able to do a little something podcast-wise beginning of next week. But just so you know, uh, we'll be out of the office and for uh, really good reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I can't think of a lot, Ryan, that we would consider to be like, oh my goodness, you mentioned loving the last two years. The uh, championship ending, uh, what, end of 21 at St. Pete, and or, I'm sorry, end of 20 in uh, St. Pete, end of 21 in Long Beach. I loved those as well, but yeah, I can't think of anything right now that would lead us back to that place. Uh, our pal Tim Falkowitz, the person who started putting, the very first person who put together our uh, our listener Q&A lists each week for y'all fine folks. He says, Marshall, I've noticed that at the beginning of the first practice, practice sessions, teams will do one slow lap. Come in and look the car over. What exactly are they looking for? Do the drivers make any setup changes after that first install lap? No changes setup-wise after that installation lap. Why is it called an installation lap? Well, it does lead back to your question. In I can't think of any instance, Tim, where following a motor race, uh, teams would not break their cars down to uh, most of all the subcomponents inspect them repair uh refurbish replace uh just right these very intricate toys get taken apart uh if you think of that if you think of this as a big complex puzzle that came together it came in a box that you had to fully assemble well they get broken down back to those original pieces more or less uh between every round and so as a result, if you think of all the nuts and bolts that had to be tightened, if you think of all the things that move or contain fluid, whether it's fuel, oil, or water, it's a lot of connections. It's a lot of opportunities for something to be missed. Uh, something that might be really hard to get to was tightened, but was it tightened perfectly uh just all the uh, reassembly aspects of these cars going back down to almost original uh, original components uh, before they were put together in this one big component. All those items, and I don't mean every single one, because <laughs> it'd probably take the full length of the session for every single nut and bolt in the vehicle to be reached and checked. But all the major things get looked at. And... That is what you see happening. So head out, do that install lap. Uh, they'll all do burnouts, leaving the pit, so the things get shaken up pretty good. 
Uh, if it's an oval, if it's a road course, a street course, get up to speed, get things warm, get everything moving, get all the fluids flowing. Uh, everything gets hot and expands. The cars would have been warmed up before they rolled out too. So everything is in full performance condition. <clears throat> then they'll come down pit lane, stop, and it's not uncommon to see all of the bodywork removed. Doesn't always happen that every single uh, part and piece covering stuff gets taken off, but most of the times it will. And you'll get folks that look around and sometimes they will use uh, little spotlights. Uh, they will do their best to use whatever they have to take a look in there, get those flashlights fired up and peek around, see if they see any leaks, any things that dangling. There's the one other aspect too to, to think about here as well, Tim. So it's not just the tightening of things together that makes a race car a one-piece unit. There's also the dressing. So might not be a big primary oil hose going from point A to point B on the car, but there could be a bunch of other wires or other little hoses. Maybe it's an overflow line. Maybe there's this or that or the other. How do you package those? Where do you place those and bundle those? Common to use cable ties, as they're known. Uh, zip ties where you take this collection of wires and hoses and whatever else and zip, 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 you will package them all together, strap them all together so that aren't hanging down and burning on one of the exhausts or in a problematic area that might chafe. There's a lot of that stuff too, where how you dress the car, dress the engine, transmission, route all the lines, make sure everything is just in a nicely packaged way. Did someone miss something? Did a electrical connection not get fully connected? Um, it's those kinds of things you're looking for. Sometimes you will have your uh, assistant engineer say, hey, uh, this sensor has gone dead. Can you take a look? And you look and you realize, oh, forgot to connect that. And it did get damaged, burnt, or otherwise. And hey, that's a problem. But again, for the most part, this is inspecting your work after the vehicle gets up to speed for a lap uh, and comes in and you make sure you've done everything correctly. Um, I am going to take, boy, there's two questions here. One that we can get into for a long time. One from Chris Kulawick. Um, I'll give you a really short one on this, Chris, and then we'll close with uh, our pal Kyle Lisk 16. Chris, uh, you say, question about Jimmy Johnson. I appreciate that learning to drive an IndyCar has its own challenges and takes time. But shouldn't Jimmy have made a bigger leap by now? You mentioned he's a seven-time champ, uh, no slouch, with one of the best teams, uh, but running near last has to be frustrating. You mentioned Scott McLaughlin's in year two, was a championship contender earlier in the year. Says I know uh, the last podcast you mentioned, um, there's a seat there for Jimmy to keep if he wants to, but what are your thoughts on his progress? It's been one of the other big surprises this year, and maybe I missed mentioning that uh, earlier in the show with Matsuki's question. Haven't had a chance to dive in with this, with Jimmy, uh, to find out where his head is at, because I am surprised that he has not made more growth. I think I also maybe mentioned last week that it still appears that 
uh, he is not connected with the car that the car's behavior at or near the limit or his limit is something where he's not hearing it speak to him as loudly as he needs to hey going to start to slide hey going to drastically understeer i'm talking road and street courses um it seems like he is working quite often in reaction to the car and that is the last thing you would want because it's effectively driving you instead of the other way around i am surprised i'm genuinely surprised lifelong oval racer i should say lifelong obviously started off on uh on the the dirt but This, to me, is one of the greater question marks. And I'm going to call Chip Ganassi right after we're done here just to ask about next year, see if and what he might share about thoughts and plans. But I don't know if a year three is going to give Jimmy everything that he's hoping for during a full calendar of IndyCar racing. If he were to dial back and say, hey, uh, I just want to do the ovals next year, I would love, I'd love to hear that. I mean, granted, I'd love to hear that he wants to keep going and wants to try and keep getting better, but I am surprised, Chris, without a doubt that he is still mired at the back or near the back at most races and does not appear to have found whatever he needs to mix it up. 15th place, 16th, 17th. Like that would be a, a real, real big thing. Like, wow, we've gotten midfield, even if it's just running in the high teens more often than not. Um, is that Jimmy not making progress? Is that some newcomers, rookies primarily, because he is positioned right now, the only person he is ahead of in the standings is Dalton Kellett talking full-timers. All of those he is directly behind, with the exception of Jack Harvey for the most part, they're all rookies. David Maluk is P19, Harvey's P20, and then I think from there it's like Kirkwood, Eilat, DeFrancesco, all rookies. And Jimmy's P24. Um, I mean, he is clearly successfully ahead of of Dalton. Um, If we're looking at... Tatiana Calderon, Tatiana has come home ahead of him or right near him a lot of times, which has been a surprise, knowing how she really, truly is short on experience. Um, I do hope to get some time with Jimmy just to ask some super honest questions like, hey man, do you think there's more? Is there more? Um, Or are you just having enough fun? Is this rewarding? even if you're not being in a place that's truly competitive outside of the ovals. And if so, good on you. Have fun, kick butt, and ignore everybody. But if you're not, I don't think there's any harm in saying, you know what, I tried it, and ovals I got, but the rest of this stuff, maybe just too late of a start and going to take too many years for me to make super incremental progress to have any hope of going wheel to wheel with, I don't know, who do you name? Like, they're all really good. Uh, David Malukas. Like, this kid spent his whole life road and street courses. And 
that's the majority of the places we go in the majority of the time he is well clear of jimmy um i what i don't see here just to close uh on this chris is for jimmy to go forward who goes backwards like he's one point behind devlin de francesco we know devlin's not had a wonderful year but he's also been not terrible in terms of speed uh but after that does jimmy knock off formula one grade talent callum eilat i mean i doubt it what who's ahead of him i got the the standings in front of me now who's a, who's next after that kyle kirkwood jimmy johnson going to outrun kyle kirkwood on a road and street course yeah highly unlikely uh jack harvey should never happen david malukas should never happen i'll keep moving up takuma sato is jimmy gonna throw down on takuma at portland i mean i'd love to see it next is elio castro neves i'd love to see it is it realistic or is jimmy kind of sort of right where he belongs uh i think that might be the the main takeaway here is jimmy just doing super poorly in year two or things tight enough to where dalton kellett he is you know put him 20 plus points behind him in the standings got it very different teams right uh de francesco one point away but after that I don't know if I can see if I can find anybody where I think Jimmy should realistically advance past uh, in the year-ending points. Of course, I expect him to be super fast and super impressive at Iowa uh, Gateway as well. We've got two ovals left, and those are going to be the places: two oval weekends, three oval races total. Those are going to be the last realistic opportunities for Jimmy to make headway uh, against anybody in the standings. So it's a question, though, of is he happy and satisfied or is he not? Uh, the last question here from Kyle Lisk, 16, MP at Mid-Ohio. Where do all the team members stay? Do they stay in hotels or on the grounds? Uh, hotels, for sure. Very rare instances will you find someone choosing to camp but that's usually someone who might be from Ohio whose family is coming out for the weekend. So on rare occasion, you get that. There are you know, Olivier Boisson, um, he and his wife, Kate, they have a motor home that they, uh, they drive around to, I think most races. So maybe Romaz race engineer, um, for talking race team crew might be staying in that, but yeah, for the most part, it's hotels for sure. And I always know when I am too late to book my accommodations for mid Ohio, because I end up having longer and longer drives and I'm truly not remembering the name of the town, but there's one that's like 45 ish minutes Southwest of mid Ohio. And, uh, I love it. It's got great, not only hotels, but great little, there's a movie theater here and there's all kinds of cool little restaurants. And <laughs> when I checked in, in the, whatever that little town was for the first time in whatever hotel that I found on Expedia, I check in and see my man, Michael Cannon, who I think was with, I don't remember if he was with Ed Carpenter at the time or 
uh, Andretti or Coin, but he was there uh, just heading out to dinner. And then I think I'll, yeah, so this must have been definitely way back, back in the day, 2013 or 14, because the uh, Brian Herta Autosport team was there as well. So, um, yeah, lots of folks pack in and around Mansfield because it's closest, but also you find some of us out uh, a little farther remote places. But, yeah, I seem to recall seeing the Wolverine movie, the one where he was in Japan. Um yeah, uh, there in that little town, and that was a lot of fun. And then I think a couple of years later, that was all booked, and I stayed at some other place, and oh, it was not great. Uh, I It was a hotel that clearly was never had a non-smoking policy until like a year or two before, so all the rooms just smelled like a Marlboro factory. And then I think that there was some sort of a motorcycle club that was also staying there, and they loved not using their rooms, but being out in the parking lot, uh, in and around, sitting on their bikes, um, whether it was drinking, smoking, revving them up, and just having uh, a big old party most nights. I recall coming away from that weekend reeking and not having a lot of sleep, plus having a long drive. So it was all kinds of awesome. But yeah, always a little bit of a uh, adventure, Kyle. And yes, indeed, most teams, if not all teams, uh, are booked up at hotels. All right, y'all. Uh, thanks for all the questions you sent in. I'm going to circle back with Tim and we're going to make sure, uh, I didn't catch until a little later that we have like an hour and a half worth of questions instead of an hour. So, uh, we'll tighten that up a little bit. My apologies for, uh, not catching that sooner, but Hey, I guess there's not a whole ton of any car going on. So maybe a slightly longer show this week is not the worst thing to fill some of that void. Prude rocks at gmail.com you want to join the fine folks those who represent every facet of humanity uh p-r-u-e-d-a-y-r-o-c-k-s prudayrocks at gmail.com and someone there from the group will respond within a couple days and welcome you in uh they communicate a lot either on twitter or discord i'm not a member i'm not involved i don't have access nor should i this is not meant for me but it's a hundred plus just awesome folks who are hilarious most of the time and love racing, talk about everything. So, uh, being a, a more family style show, more interactive style show, uh, if you just want to continue that, uh, would recommend sending an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com and join that wider listener group and have fun and contribute however the heck you might want. Uh, thanks again, y'all for everything you sent in big thank you as well to the just scrumtralescent folks at Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and I don't know if I'm going to have everything up and ready on the MarshallProofPodcast.com memorabilia page but I do hope to have a lot of those new stickers up and available for you very shortly and assuming I can figure it out that uh, buy four get a fifth one for free Promotion should also be something that I hope y'all take kindly to Thursday. Elio Castro Neves, he'll be our guest. I'll put out the call for questions here shortly. And other than that, I look forward to speaking to y'all very soon.